0: Uh, Morning, guys. It's good to be with you today, Uh, Essex. It's always a pleasure for me to be here. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm usually at our North Ave campus on Sundays. But days where I get to speak is when I get to be among you, lovely people. So thanks for having me today. A couple, three quick things before we get to today's message. Number one is Grady mentioned, is uh, the financial meeting today after this service. If you're planning to stay, uh, we'd love to have you. We're going to be updating you on some things. You'll hear the information from the finance team, and we'll also be doing some uh, nominations, things like that. If you're here, and you cannot make it or stay for the meeting, but you are an active voting member and still wanna make a nomination for the nominating committee, you can do that at the info desk. Uh, nominations closed today for that, by the way, so make sure you do that in the info desk and you can grab a packet out there as well. If you're not a member, you're welcome to come and listen and hear and we have a packet for you as well, though you can't participate in any voting or nominating or anything like that, but you can still come and be a part uh, at that level. So we'd love you to, love you to be a part of that. <clears throat> Number two. Pastor Scott, he's away this week. He just wanted me to relay to you all that uh, he is, uh, you know, he sits on our national board of directors for the Christian Missionary Alliance, and he's away at a meeting this week. And he just wanted me to say to you, uh, he misses you. And uh, I like to think he misses me too, but he really misses you guys when he's gone. And uh, he also wanted me to let you know it is such a joy and a pleasure for him to serve at that capacity uh, on the board of directors. And I think it's pretty cool, you know, that our, our guy gets to be there and, and sort of help shape and, and lead forward our denomination. So happy for that. And the third thing, before we come to the message today, I think we need to spend a couple minutes in prayer. You're no doubt aware of what's going on in uh, the Ukraine with the Russian invasion and the, the violence and the war and the loss of life, people being displaced from their homes. I've seen multiple videos of fathers saying goodbye to their children at the border as they turn around to go fight and their family goes and finds safety in Poland. And I mean, this is a real, this is a real bad situation. But we believe prayer works and prayer matters and and God is active in our world. So we're going to come to him and just ask him that his peace would reign. That this situation would come to an end and that he would preserve life here in this world. before we pray, though, I just want to say, too, if you're sitting here and you've been thinking, how can I help? You know, it feels so desperate just to be across the world and, and feel so much empathy and hear the news and just like, what, what can we do? What can we, how can we help? Uh, you know, it's not just what's happening now, but what's going to be happening in the coming days following however this situation resolves, there is no doubt going to be a humanitarian crisis on our hands. We've got people displaced from their homes, jobs lost, jobs um, lost. Uh, refugees now, and uh, people need food and shelter and help to reestablish or to establish something new for themselves. So, uh, you know, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. In our denomination, we we work to bring the name of Jesus across the world, but we also work to bring practical, real help to people who are suffering. Part of our denomination, we have an entity called Comma Services. That's C-A-M-A, comma Services. And uh, that's our relief wing of the Alliance. And they work in situations like this all over the world. So if you're thinking, hey, how can I help where can I give? How can I get involved? There's a lot of places you could do that. But let me just say, hey, comma Services would be a great place to do that. If you go on the Alliance website, cmalliance.org, you'll see right there on the front page, it says uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict um, response. And that's a place where you can get more information about what we're doing as a denomination and uh, how you can give to help that. So I'm just wanted to throw that out there to you. But uh, until, until then, let's, uh, we gotta pray. We gotta pray that the Lord would intervene. So church, let's pray together. <clears throat> God, uh, what, what else can we say in moments like this except, except help? God, help. Lord, would you intervene in a mighty way in what's happening in, in Ukraine? And people are dying. People are fleeing. There's hatred and violence and, and war and, and death. God, would you put put an end to that? And would your peace reign? Would your goodness be known? And would your goodness overtake the hearts and minds of, of people who are bent towards destruction? Would your goodness overtake the loss of life? Would you preserve life? And not just preserve, but help those lives to thrive. God, we need you now. Our fellow man in Ukraine needs you now. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine need you now. Lord, would you intervene, please? Bring peace, bring goodness, bring hope, and bring restoration, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for praying. Thank you for continuing to pray. Well, uh with everything you know going on in the world. Not just that situation, but you know, everything else and everything going on in our lives. You know, I think today would be a really good day for some encouragement. <laughs> I don't know if you're feeling that as well, but I've been feeling that this week. I think we could all use some encouragement today. Okay, if you read the letters of the New Testament in our Bibles, you may notice that the opening verses of most of the New Testament letters are, are very kind. They're filled with lots of words of encouragement and hope. Uh, the authors of these letters, many of the letters written by the Apostle Paul, the authors of these letters are writing to real people, real churches and real places, trying to figure out how do they live out their faith in the hostile world of the Roman Empire. Right? Encouragement was, and I still I think still is so often needed for our faith. Now, in many of those uh, New Testament letters, if you read them carefully, and maybe not so carefully, you'll notice that after the opening bit of encouragement... Often what follows is not so encouraging. You know, it's a lot of like, hey, you're not doing very well at this. There's rebuke, there's challenge that comes after the encouragement. And we can either look at these opening encouraging words of these letters in a couple ways. One of them being sort of a strategic, dare I say, I don't want to say the word manipulative, but a way to get the audience to listen and say, hey, I love you guys, but you got a lot to work on, right? Sort of a strategic choice. Or from the author, we could say uh, there's truth in those words that there is a lot to encourage, even if there's a lot to work on, right? Um, The author saying things like, I'm really glad to see what you're doing and hearing about the way you're helping people and spreading the name of Jesus. Here's some stuff you gotta work on, but you're gonna be okay. So we can look at them in those couple of ways, but either way, following Jesus can be very hard. And not just because we're living in a uh, increasingly hostile culture or anything like that, but following Jesus is hard, in and of itself, because it necessarily means that our lives change when we follow him, right? Our relationships change, our priorities change, our desires, the way we talk, the way we use our money, all these things change as we follow Jesus. And change, I don't know if you know this, but change is pretty hard. Change is hard. There are growing pains, And these growing pains never seem to end when we follow Jesus. I'm 35 years old. I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 13. I was baptized at the age of 14. And at the age of 19 is when I felt this call to full-time vocational ministry to become a pastor. And uh, it seemed to me that every, as I look back at my life, every significant moment in my life or in my faith comes with growing pains. Right? I think I've got things figured out. I think I'm doing well. Look at where I was. Look at where I am now. I'm at a high point, and I feel good. And all of a sudden, boom, a realization that, oh, wait, I'm not where I thought I was. In fact, I'm not even close. And that could be hard. Those are growing pains. You know, when I felt called to ministry at the age of 19, I'd been volunteering in our church's youth program for a while and a couple years. And um, I had learned a lot. I had grown a lot. I had changed a lot over those couple years, and When I felt called to ministry, I decided to transfer schools from the college I was at to go to a different school to study uh, biblical studies a little more intentionally. I wound up going to Gordon College in Massachusetts. Some of you know that place. And I got there thinking like, oh man, I'm going to show these people just how much I love Jesus and how smart I am and how faithful I am and all that. And I showed up right for my first day of Old Testament classes and I realized, oh no, (laughs) I don't know a whole lot, right? And that was a hard moment. And the same thing happened when I went to seminary, the same thing happened when I went to my first full-time ministry position, when I came here to Essex Alliance Church and North Ave Alliance Church, and it seems to me that regularly, you know, I think I've got things figured out, I think I'm at some high point in my faith and in my love of God or in my holiness or however you want to say it, and then I'm I'm reminded of how small my faith actually is and how weak I am how little I know how, how short I've fallen. Following Jesus is inherently hard because of these growing pains, these reminders and moments that, oh, I'm, I'm not where I thought I was. I thought that thing was behind me. The hard realization that I have a long way to go So I want to start today by turning to the opening verses of one of these New Testament letters, the encouraging part of uh, the letter to the Philippians. And the Apostle Paul, he's writing to this church, and as he does, he starts with encouragement, right? And with these words, I think the Lord has some encouragement for us today as well. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 1, and just, we're going to read verses 3 through 6. And the Lord's word says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Church, no matter where you are in your life, no matter where you are in your faith, no matter how long you follow Jesus or no matter how many times you've failed or you've turned away or maybe you've never heard the name of Jesus before, no matter where you're at, I want you to know something this morning. God is not done with you. God is not done with you in success, in failure. Even if you think you're not worthy, God is not done with you. The Philippian church that Paul writes to here was a successful church. They were a really good church. Uh, If if you were to read the whole letter to the Philippians, you'd notice that it's very warm, uh, that it's full of joy and thanksgiving, especially if you compare it to Paul's other letters. That stuff really comes out. They were a really good church. They worked hard at the hard stuff. And one of those things was that they found a way to unity across diversity. The city of Philippi was situated right on a road called the Ignatian Way. This was a major trade route that went east to west across the whole Roman Empire. And because of that, it had a lot of travelers and people that would come through Philippi to do business and merchants and commerce and travelers and all of this right through the road at Philippi. So a diverse group of people was in the city from all over the Roman Empire. This also led to quite a large economic diversity between the wealthy merchants had an increasing slave and servant population in the city. So there was a lot of diversity there. On top of this, too, uh, in 42 BC, the armies of Mark Antony and Octavius uh, clashed with the forces of Julius Caesar's assassins, Brutus and uh, Cassius, at the city of Philippi. And after uh, they defeated their forces, many of the soldiers settled there, And their descendants occupied the city of Rome now. And there's a lot of pride and love for Rome and the Roman Empire here in the city of Philippi. So the church, in its fledgling days, was having to find unity across uh, a number of uh, diversities, economic, ethnic, and otherwise. And they seemed to do a good job at it. This church also supported Paul and his ministry. As Paul's writing this letter, he's in prison. And later on in the letter, he writes uh, about this man named Epaphroditus, who the Philippian church sent to Paul to assist and encourage him while he was there in prison. They supported Paul in his ministry. This church was a pretty good church. They were a good church. And Paul says to this good church in the opening verses that he's confident that God, who began this good work in them, is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, And what he's saying here to them is, you guys, are doing great, but God isn't done with you. He's going to keep working in you and growing you and bring you to completion until Christ returns. He doesn't say to them, hey, thanks, you guys are doing good. Keep it up. You're right where you're supposed to be. No, he says you're good, but it's not done. In fact, you'll never be complete until you see Jesus face to face. God is not done with you. No matter your success, no matter how good you are, God is not done with you. I'm going to be honest, guys. I think we're a pretty good church. I do. I think we're a pretty good church. I've been here a little over three years now, and I've seen and experienced uh, a, lot of, a lot of generosity from this church, from you all. Uh, you give a lot of time and energy, creativity and money and, and for the sake of helping others and for the sake of bringing... And spreading the name of Jesus, uh, not only in Vermont, but across the world. And I'm happy to be one of your pastors. I really am. I love being a part of this church, but God is not done with us. He's not done with this church. I hope and pray that we never become prideful and look at what we've done in the past and say, that was good enough, but rather look to the future to see where God is continuing to grow us and bring us to completion. And that truth isn't just for, uh, you know, the church as a whole, as an organization. It's for each of us individually, right? In your success, in your faith, or how good you are, however you want to phrase that, God is not done with you. It's pretty easy to get into the mindset that I'm all right. I'm good. It's easy to get into that mindset, you know, and, and... to rationalize it, right? You can look at your life and maybe where you are now or what you've done in the past and say like, you know, I spent a couple of years volunteering in the kids ministry and you know, now I attend a small group and I helped set up for that event a couple months ago. I, I give my 10% and I even give more at Christmas time when we collect that money for those gift cards that we give out. I'm doing pretty good. It's easy to rationalize that. And we can get into this mindset of being satisfied with, with where we're at and we, I think, we start to think then that God must also be satisfied with where I'm at as well. I can't possibly give more or grow more. I've done so much, and I feel pretty complete. And I know, I know we all get there sometimes, because I've, I've been there too. And I think this mindset comes down to, to two things. And I think it's either pride, right, that I can't possibly get any better, or maybe it's a lack of imagination, Say, I can't even see the place where God wants to grow me. Look how far I've come. I can't see that there's even a road ahead from here. And I don't, I don't say these things like to make you feel guilty or anything. I don't want you to feel guilty. If you're in that place in your faith where you're saying, look at where I was, look at where I am. I, I want you to know that's, that's awesome. That's pretty good. God's done a good work in you. And you've done the good work yourself to be faithful to him. Just like the Philippian church. But that doesn't mean that God's done with you. To break this I'm good mindset, or maybe to protect yourself from it, I just want to give you one simple suggestion. Pray. Pray. And when you pray, ask God for two things. Number one, to reveal the places in your life, for him to show you where he wants to continue his work, where you can grow, what you can learn, what you can do. Ask God to show it to you, to reveal it to you. That's number one. The second thing you can ask God for when you pray is for opportunities, opportunities to work on it. Maybe God says, hey, I want you to be more generous and say, okay, God, give me a chance to be generous today. Or maybe God says, hey, I want you to to dig into my word a little bit more. Well, God, give me an opportunity. Maybe there's a Bible study or a small group you can join and get into that with some people. Ask God for opportunity. He is not done with you even in your success. And God's not going to be done with you until you see Jesus face to face. He wants to continue to carry your life and faith through to completion. God's not done with you in your success. And he's definitely not done with you if you failed. Last week, uh, Pastor Scott, you may remember, talked a lot about the Apostle Peter. I want to talk about Peter a little bit today as well. Uh, Peter messed up. Peter failed pretty hard. Many of you uh, know this story, right? Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, his friends, his followers. And uh, Peter was a pretty bold guy. He would say things to Jesus like, I'm going to die alongside of you and I'll never leave you. And uh, guess what? He failed at that. He failed pretty good. Um, All four of the gospels record the story of Peter's failure of when he denies Jesus after uh, Jesus is arrested, he's taken by the arresting party to the house of the high priest in the city of Jerusalem, and Peter kind of slinks along behind them in the shadows, and they come to the house, and Peter waits outside in the courtyard, and there's some other people there in the courtyard with him, and he's standing there, and, and he gets recognized, and he's like, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Yeah, we know, you're from Galilee, you're one of his followers. He says, no, 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 it's not me, that's not me, and he does that three times. He denies even knowing Jesus. Peter told Jesus he was going to share the same fate as him. And then when the moment came to be bold and to be true, Peter denies he even knows Jesus. I call that a fail. You ever have those moments where you feel like you've failed Jesus or you've failed in your faith in some way? A moment comes or an opportunity presents itself and... And you know what you should do and you get the little butterflies in your stomach and you start turning. And it's like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And you, you start to think about those first steps and, and then the moment comes and it just slides by. You kind of just let it pass by for some reason. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not, I'm not a big small talker. I don't particularly enjoy small talk. Um, one of my least favorite spots to be in the world is in the is in the barber's chair because you're trapped. And they have sharp objects. You can't, <laughs> you can't move too quick. Um, and for some reason, everyone who cuts my hair wants to talk to me. And I just, just cut my hair. Just leave me alone and cut my hair, right? And, uh, and I always know the question's going to come. It comes for all of us. We're sitting there, and they're, they got their pointy object, and they're cutting, and they say, so what do you do for work, right? What do you do for work? And I just sit there and think through I really want to get into this right now, you know, and I'm not like afraid to say I'm a pastor or anything, but sometimes I just want to be a little incognito out in the world and just like live my life like a normal person. And, and uh, I just want to get my hair cut. Don't talk to me, cut my hair. But I say it, I always say it. Oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church. And, you know, it's funny the things people say to you when you tell them you're a pastor, they get a couple responses. One of them is, is um, <laughs> sometimes it's a great conversation. You know, that's one response is we have a great time let me talk. Uh, typically, the response I get is, you're a pastor. Oh, cool. You know, and, and that shuts down conversation real quick. Or, um, or I get like a confessional, right? And people are, you know, they talk and they're like, yeah, you know, I used to go to church. I grew up in the Catholic church, but I don't go anymore. I'm really busy and, you know, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't need you to tell me all that. It's, it's, thanks for sharing, but, you know, just cut my hair. <laughs> so, I, you know, I always have that, moment that, that that tension as I pass this by. Do I say it? Do I just brush it off and get through this, get through this time and peace? And, um, you know, these moments, they come for all of us. They come in different ways, right? We humans tend to fail Jesus a lot. We do. And that's unfortunately because sin is part of our experience, right? We've, we fall back into sinful habits or mindsets. We let opportunities pass by. We We act selfishly or we indulge our lusts and we do the very things we know Jesus said not to do. Even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, he he writes, "Uh, I don't do what I want to do and what I hate, I do. Like even Paul, right? We sin and we fail to live up to the life God has called us to. But God is not done with us when we fail. Peter failed. He denied Jesus three times. But God was not done with Peter. After his resurrection, Jesus, he finds his disciples fishing in the Sea of Galilee, and he's standing on the shore and he calls to them, and they come in, and they have breakfast there on the shore, the Sea of Galilee, together. And then Jesus has this exchange with Peter, who failed him in John 21. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know, I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Before Jesus was crucified, Peter denied him three times. He failed. And now after his resurrection, Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you says Peter. Then Jesus says to this man that epically failed him, epically failed him. He says to him three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He tells Peter here to take care of and to lead his people. He doesn't just forgive the one that failed him. He gives him this huge responsibility. God wasn't done with Peter when he failed. He restored him and then used Peter to teach and to lead and to love and to care for people in his name. Failure is not the end. Are you gonna fail? Are you gonna sin? Are you gonna turn away from God from time to time? Yeah, probably. But guess what? Even when you fail, especially when you fail, God is not done with you. He wants to restore you to relationship and responsibility in the kingdom. He's not done with you. He's never done with you. God has more grace than you can imagine. He, he's more good than you are bad. Don't think you're hopeless because you're not. When you fail, God is not done with you. Now, some of you might think like, oh, that sounds really nice. God's not done with people who believe in him. But you know, what? that's not me. Or you could be sitting there thinking, I, I've done too many bad things. I'm too far gone. I'm not worthy. God would never. He doesn't want anything to do with me. Well, you know what? God's not done with you either. I want to look at the life of another apostle. This time, the apostle Paul. Paul was great. He loved God. He followed Jesus. And he helped a lot of people to love God and follow Jesus. But Paul wasn't always that way. In fact, in the early days of his life, he was, he was known by the name Saul, and in the early days of Paul slash Saul's life, he hated, he hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus' followers, and he was actively trying to stamp out and destroy the church. He arrested Christians, and he even was the overseer of the execution of the first martyr for the faith, Stephen, and you can read that story in Acts chapter 7 and 8. There was no greater opponent of God's plan than Paul. He was violent, he was zealous, and he was opposed to God's plan and God's people. But God was not done with him. I want to read part of his story from Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. And you'll see the transformation happen in him. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we'll start there. It says, Meanwhile, Saul, that's Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there that belonged to the way, that's the church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but not, did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Then the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went into the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus at once... (laughs) I love that. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, what a turn from breathing murderous threats to standing up in front of people and proclaiming, guess what, guys? Jesus actually is the Son of God. I was wrong about that. What a turn. If there was anyone that would have been considered unworthy of God's grace, I think it might have been Paul. But God was not done with Paul. And God's not done with you. Now I've met too many people who, who were too far gone or who thought they, they were too unworthy of God's grace and that have had their lives radically changed by him to believe that God has ever done with any of us. In fact, I, I recently had a surprise with this, someone I know in my life. I, my, freshman year, my freshman year of college, I was at a school I would eventually leave after one year. And... Um, I made a couple friends there and one of them was a girl named Natasha. Now, Natasha and I were very close. There were never any romantic feelings or anything like that. She was just a really good friend. We had classes together. We ate meals together. We hung out a lot. She was, she was a good friend. And we'd have a lot of good conversations just about life. And over time, those questions became about faith. And she knew I was a Christian. And she'd ask me about Christianity in my life, not in a way where she was like interested in Christianity, but more interested in my experience and who I was and all that. So, we had a lot of good conversations and um, just to paint a picture, kind of where she was at. Every year, she would uh, she would travel to Salem, Massachusetts, at Halloween. I I don't know if you are aware, but Salem, Massachusetts, is uh, the witch city, home of the famous Salem witch trials. Once upon a time, I lived outside of Salem for a while too in Beverly, one town north, and uh, Halloween got pretty intense around there, but she would go every year to celebrate Halloween there, just to, if that helps you understand where she was at. Anyway, after I transferred away, we kept in touch for a little while, but lost touch, and that was, uh, it was 2005, so 17 years ago, and um, recently we reconnected on, on Instagram, social media, and we haven't talked, but now we follow each other. And a little while ago, I saw she posted a picture. And it was a picture of herself in clearly what was a sound booth. There was a, you know, a soundboard and a camera. And in the background, it was blurry. There was some stage with some lights. and She posted it on a Sunday. I was like, oh. So I went to her page and I looked and were, I, could find, I found other photos like it of my friend, not only in church, but serving in church, Worshiping in church, I mean, I was so, so happy to see that. And not just happy for her, but also reminded of the fact that God is never finished with us, with any of us. And it may take years, it may take decades for us to see that God is there, that he loves us, that he's real, and that he wants to have a relationship with you. God is not done with you. He's never done with you. Now, he may not be like Paul (laughs) in that he was violently opposed to the church and killing people. Or maybe you are, I hope not. But you may think you've done too many bad things or your life's ledger is imbalanced and God can't possibly be interested in me. He doesn't have enough grace for me. Well, if you're thinking that, I just want you to know you're wrong about that. You are not too far gone. God is not done with you. He will take care of balancing your ledger. He never runs out of grace. You are not unworthy. You are not beyond his love for you. God is not done with you. And if that's what's kept you from coming to him thinking God is done with me, I don't let it keep you any longer come to him. He is there waiting for you with open arms. He's not done with you. The apostle Paul knew that because he experienced it in a very real and powerful way. He was was trying to destroy God's people and his plan for salvation. And God looked on him and said, Paul, I'm not even done with you. So when he writes to the Philippian church in verse 6 of chapter 1, that he's confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He can say that with confidence because that is his story too. God is not done with you. He's not done with any of us. If you think you're perfect, God's not done with you. If you failed, God's not done with you. If you think you're unworthy, guess what? God is not done with you, and he never will be. Until the day we either open our eyes in heaven or we see him descending on the clouds, God is not done with us, and he will carry us to completion until that last day. God is not done with you. I think that's pretty awesome. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. I want to end in song today, church. God's not done with us. He's not done with you. And I think that's such wonderful news. And I I think it's worth singing about. So if you're able, I'm going to ask that you would stand. And we're going to sing together. But before we sing, I want to take a minute to pray. And then we'll lift our voices once more as we sing to our God who is faithful, who is good, who is worthy, and who looks at you no matter your success, your failure, or how unworthy you think you are, and he calls to you. And he says, come to me. I'm going to carry you on. Let's pray, church. God, I... I don't know what else to say other than thank you. Thank you that you look at me and say, Matt, I'm not done with you. Thank you that you looked at me when I thought I wasn't worth it or I was unworthy or I had messed up. And you said, Matt, just come. And you said, Matt, I forgive you. And you said I had something better for you. no matter how many times that happens in my life or any of our lives, Lord, you are not done with us. And what we've seen you do and how you've worked in our lives, because you're not done with us, Lord, we can be confident that you will do it again, that your faithfulness will never end, that even when we are faithless, you are faithful and you beckon us, come. So God, we lift our voices to you in worship because you are good, you are faithful, you are worthy, and you are not finished with us yet. Amen. Let's sing, church.
1: Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never found me yet Waiting for change to come No For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands.
0: good to us. And he looks at us wherever we are and he beckons us, come, I have more for you. Even if we think we're at the top of that peak, he says there's more. If you're in the lowest valley, he reaches down for you and says, come, I have more for you. Church, I want you to go this week and live in the absolute freedom and joy, knowing that we have a God who will never give up on you, that he is not done with you yet. So God bless you, church, as we go. Um, Have a great week, and with the blessing of God be upon you. We'll see you if you're staying for the financial meeting. If not, we'll see you again soon. God bless you. Bye, church.